My name's Paul, elder here at Harvest Decaver, and uh, glad, to, glad to be worshiping with you all this morning. Today we're going to be studying in Philippians chapter 2, so if you would, uh, go ahead and begin turning there. We'll be taking a look at that. Good, so if you're there, um, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any participation in the spirit, if any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Christ, the pursuit of lowliness is of the highest calling. Today, we're going to be looking at an in-depth view of humility. And so we're going to answer the question of why be humble. Number one, unity and humility go hand in hand. They work together. When we have one, we'll have the other. You will have unity with others when you are humble. When we are humble, we will be unified. Now you might be asking or thinking if if unity and humility go hand in hand, then what's all this if business? Wasn't Paul writing if? If there is encouragement in Christ, if there's fellowship with the Spirit, if there's tenderness, Does he use if? He does, but he doesn't mean it. (laughs) Let's walk through what's going on here. Paul is wanting them to be humble in thought, and here's why. In chapter one, Paul lays out his desire for the saints, the elders, and the deacons of Philippi. He wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all since I hold you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And this is my prayer. This is my prayer that you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight and so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. And Paul later says, uh, he gives these contributing factors to his emotional state, his emotional connection with these believers. He thanks them for the gifts that they sent to him to supply him in his ministry. And he called their gifts a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now their gifts came by a way of, of delivered by hand through a man named Epaphroditus. Now some suspect that Epaphroditus could have been their own pastor of their church. But even if he wasn't, it, it was clear that he was someone who was dedicated to the gospel. For he almost died in serving Christ on this trip. So clearly this church has, has a lot going right. But in this letter, as Pastor Tony would like to say, uh, it, it was kind of a, a pat on the back and a kick in the pants. For we can see that in chapter four, Paul also write, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And we can also see in our passage for today, there, there's an imperative of do nothing from selfish ambition. This church was ready, willing, and, and they did to give support to Paul and his ministry, even, even to the point of, of possibly sending their own pastor to do so. But then back home, their relationships with each other were strained, struggling. Why? No unity, no humility. Paul wanted to get their mind right. His if statements were, were more sarcastic in nature. They, they, they weren't a phrase of if then, but more since you already have encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, fellowship with the spirit, affection and sympathy because you've already shown all of this to me. Have this among yourselves through humility of thought. When my kids were young, they, uh, they used to use words, N not well. <laughs> they, they would say things that, that didn't quite fit the context or, or, or make up words all in, the, in themselves. And, and you know, it was, it was cute. You know, they're little, they say funny things. Oh, that's, that's adorable. And then it's like, okay, let's, let's start getting things right, shall we? <laughs> And I can be a little bit particular with words at times. Uh, recently, I, I got into a fairly substantial, passionate debate on, on what the meaning of here means while playing a card game. <laughs> so with that, I, I, I wanna ask you, what, what do you think the opposite of upside down is? 
Agreed. Agreed. <clears throat> but for a child, it's, it's upside up. I have yet to correct that in my children. <laughs> and the reason is, is because whenever I first heard that, I'm like, that's, that actually makes more sense. <laughs> See, the, the, the upside is, is referencing spatial reality, where, where the, the right side is a presupposition as to which side is correct in its vertical orientation. Those are not opposite statements. They're two separate things. The opposite is upside up. There's something about the way children see things. They're a genuine acceptance of, of things at the face value. In fact, Jesus said that if we don't become like children, we, we don't have a part with him. Humility is needed we need an upside up kind of faith. We need an upside up approach to relationships. We need to seek humility in how we treat one another and how we interact with one another. Not only did Paul say to be of the same mind but have one mind in full unity with each other and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Instead, count others as more significant. See, it seems this church in Philippi had a lot of fix-it Felixes. Anytime there was an issue or a problem, I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. No other church is supporting Paul in his ministry? We'll be sure that's us. We'll do that. You know, there's a lot of irreverent handling of our festivals and ceremonies. Let's tidy that up a bit. See, these people were, were so consumed and, and thinking that they had a, a corner market on, on what ministry is. I know what we ought to be doing. Our tithes and offerings, they should be supporting this ministry. Our church should be doing this more. How come whenever I come here, I don't see anybody doing fill in the blank? That's wrong. This is broke. That won't work. On and on and on. Paul called this selfish ambition and conceit. Other translators have, have written vain glory. It's an empty pursuit of self-promotion. And in no way should that be a part of our walk in Christ. You know, the Spirit has brought an even further sense of conviction on me with this passage when it comes to, the, to how I approach my work. Am I in, in empty pursuit of self-promotion? Or am I looking to exemplify the gospel through humility? To let things go if, if someone tries to characterize me as uncaring to make others look better than me. It's a challenge. It's a difficult thing to do, and, and even more so in the context of, uh, of those who, who do, do not believe in Christ and are free from righteousness, as explained in Romans 6.20. But here, 
here in the body? May this never be so. Where we have fellowship with the Spirit, we shouldn't give in to the tug on our identity crisis, butting heads because someone else is, is passionate about something that's not my thing. What you've been gifted and called to do isn't necessarily what I've been gifted and called to do. And, and, and those markers are, are, are you know, not what the, the people in that back row have been gifted or called to do. And especially those on the, on the side columns. Is that what we call those? I don't know. But is God being glorified? Is it edifying the body? My brothers and sisters, listen to Paul's words. Be of the same mind. Have the same one mind. Don't be consumed when, in thinking that, that your gifts are what the church needs or that your ministry idea is, is better than others. Don't be consumed with making sure that, that everybody else knows what you've done or how committed and, and how, how serious you are. No, consider others as more significant, more important than yourself. Yes, work out your passions. Yes, pursue using your gifts to glorify God, to edify the body, to build each other up. But more than that, not only that, look for how others are gifted. Look for ways to support them and how they desire to work for Christ. Look for ways to encourage each other and build each other up in love. And yes, similarly to how Tony preached on prophecy, test things out, yeah? If someone comes to you and says, you know, I think God's been wanting me to start a lawn grazing ministry with a pack of alpacas. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But does it glorify God? Is it edifying the body? Is it, is it building each other up and encouraging each other and, and creating better disciples, more disciples? Is it, is it building in that whole discipleship process where we're now walking and working and worshiping Christ more? The answer is yes, then two thumbs up. By all means, jump in, let's have at it, let's do it. I will tell you that I've, I've been greatly encouraged by this church and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm happy to be one of you and, and, and for the years of listening Tony preach and the years to come that he's gonna continue to preach and the discipleship that we, that we have with one another. Most recently I've been 
I've been greatly encouraged by a group of women who went and sat with the Twaits in their distress. It is a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. There's also others who desire to, to have, a, have our church love our neighbors and ways that we can do that. And, and I'm encouraged because George, our elder chair, is, is taking that serious and, and, and wants, to, wants to see how can we equip people to do these things? How can we encourage and edify and build into each other and support people and their passions and gifts? And as elders, we are, we're working through how best to do that. All this comes by way of humility, considering others more than ourselves. But even in humility, it doesn't come by way of our own efforts. I I can't approach something and and say, I'm going to humble the snot out of this deal. No, we need to be humble in spirit. For those who are in Christ, we're told in in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. And so living and breathing the words in Psalm 131, as you can see here on the screen, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have claimed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Paul's final imperative in this section is to be humble for the sake of unity, to have this mind, this same mind that is yours because and through Jesus. So why be humble? Number one, unity and humility go hand in hand. And number two, humility is the cause for obedience. Being humble will result in being obedient. At least that's how it worked for Jesus. Now, I like to joke about being the most humblest person you'll ever meet. It's funny, to me at least. I mean, if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at, right? I guess, I guess you still can laugh at everybody else. But that's, that's a whole different story. I'm, uh, I'm derailing quickly here. Um, where were we at? Humility. That's it. Jesus, in fact, is the most humble one of all. And when you compare that statement to who Jesus is, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Look at what was said in verses 4 through 8. Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. Having been found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus was in the form of God. We don't even have the frame of reference to understand what that means. See, we're, we're, we're very familiar with, with post-Christmas Jesus, right? But pre-Christmas Jesus, that's, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother ball game and, and, and as many other metaphors as that we can throw at it. The eternal word was there in the beginning. The Lord of hosts, the fourth man in the furnace who looked like a god, he became a child gnawing on his finger because his gums hurt. The origin of life itself looked forward to dinner time because he was hungry. The sustainer of all things became one that needed sustenance. I don't know how, but I believe he did. And he did it for obedience. For the sake of obedience, the giver of life became as one that received life in order to lay down his own life even as if he was one who was disobedient. Thank you, Jesus. It's clear from this point that obedience necessitates humility. It's extremely challenging to be obedient and lack humility. It's easier to, to, to lead or at least think we're leading when humility is thin, but if God values humility so much that he personified it in Jesus Christ, how much more should we foster humility by becoming obedient? Peter put it this way. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us be obedient to those in authority, obedient to the word of God, obedient to the call of unity, and let us pursue obedience in loving one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, and being devoted to one another. Jesus wasn't just humble in spirit and deed. He, he started with being humble in mind. Look back at verse six. Jesus, who was God, he did not consider being God as something to achieve. Jesus did not see equality with God as one of his objectives. This was not a goal of his or, or something he had to accomplish. He didn't think that he needed to set out to prove himself as worthy of his station. No, instead, he humbled himself. Jesus and Adam are often compared. Uh, the first Adam and last Adam, they're called. And they're similar in sharing a distinction from us. The rest of us, have come out of the matrix. 
they were placed in it. But where they differ is, is Adam sought equality with God. He grasped at it with his own hands to take it for himself. The last Adam, Jesus, however, he set aside equality with God to show a better way. And when our attentions and our focus is zeroed in on accomplishing our goals, we lose sight of the way of Christ. Instead of being in the pursuit of happiness, instead of chasing after our dreams, we need to pursue and chase after the abandonment of cause. We need to replace it with humble obedience. This doesn't mean that we don't work, strive, we do. We press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. But this is a pursuit of honoring Christ, of abiding in him. This is exactly why our our mission statement here at Harvest Decatur begins with to glorify God. Because anything else is is man-made programs designed purely for self-promotion. And I get it, our, our culture is full of causes, groups and banners and labels and ribbons and wristbands, and you, you name it, there's a group promoting it. Now, I'm, I'm also not saying that it's, it's, it's you know, wrong to support a cause, or to, to, to be a part of something like that. I'm, my employment is, is basically a, a cause of promoting independence and self-worth for adults and children with disabilities. So it's not the, it's not the actions or, or, or what we do and, and how we're involved in it, but it's why. Why we do what we do. Are you looking to glorify God by loving people? two thumbs up. But all of us need to be diligent in checking our motives to be certain that that we're not aligning with Paul's enemies recorded in verse 117 of those who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, self-promoting, identity-boosting, vainglory, whatever you want to call it, it's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Instead, Let us live in humble obedience. So why be humble? Unity and humility go hand in hand. Humility is the cause for obedience. And lastly, greatness and the glory of God are for the humble. Jesus said that for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And it was for this exact reason why he was exalted. Because of his humility. Peter understood this when he wrote, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Jesus was the forerunner of this humble to high program. Having gone the lowest, he has also ascended to the highest In fact, he has been given the name. 
Okay, can I, can I confess something? I dislike name tags very much. <laughs> Partly because I don't like conforming and, and you know, that's on me. I get that. I understand that. Um, but especially when, when conforming to giving you my name provides you with a, with a false sense of knowing me. You know, wearing a name tag, it, it gives you power over me. I, I didn't choose to disclose my name to you. I didn't choose to let you know who I am. Yeah, I'm aware this is, this is an area I need to grow in. <laughs> That's understood. What I do find curious, though, is that Jesus, having been given a name tag that reads the above name, I am. That even though his name is clearly visible, God still has the power to disclose the identity of Jesus to those whom he chooses. And even as Jesus is wearing the name tag and anyone can read it, those who do not know him will only find confusion. Because upon reading the name I am, they're left with an image of themselves that does not live up to the claim. And too often, people don't like what they see. Which is why we as humans, in these moments, we start to compare ourselves to others. And we start to promote our own goodness to trick our conscience into accepting the lie that we're okay. But we're not okay. And being humble enough to admit that is the first step towards greatness. Not the exact greatness that Jesus has, but a greatness that is beyond what we can express a greatness that is being enjoyed by those who are absent in the body and present with the Lord. A greatness that will culminate in the transformation of these broken, humble bodies to be like his glorious body. Another intriguing factor I find in this section is that when Jesus was exalted and every being in reality, whether spiritual or physical, is now under his rule and he was given the name, but his name wasn't changed. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament Yahweh. We are not now calling Jesus Yahweh, but we are calling Yahweh Jesus. What is even more amazing is that this does not diminish the glory of the Father, but in fact, it adds to it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Again, all of this because Jesus humbled himself. 
the path to greatness and the glory of God came by way of humility. And as Pastor Tony would also say, Jesus is, is coming back. But this time he will not be looking to be humble again. In fact, this Egyptian image that we'll show on the screen, it, uh, it can help serve as a contrast for us. As you can see there, it, it talks about what this is, that it was portraying the Egyptian ruler as, as all his enemies being a footstool. And so back then, and I'm sure much today, there are still people who think that in order to have peace, there has to be a subjugation of enemies, and that can only happen by force. The contrast is, is that Jesus showed us by his humility and exaltation a better way. His path of humility was to die for his enemies, for us. And so now many of us and many more willingly bend our knee in worship. And yet there will be a time when God's true enemies will be forced into subjection as his footstool. But those of us who bend a knee in humility will be exalted with Christ at the proper time. Are you ready? Are your knees bent? Do you believe with your convictions that God raised Jesus from the dead? Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? Romans 10.9, it, it states that those who believe and confess that Jesus is Lord will be saved. We will be saved from destruction. We will be saved from death. We will be saved from the return of the king who's come to set right the wrongs. And this is our confession. And not that Jesus is boss or, or that he needs to have authority over our life, though clearly he does, but that Jesus is God. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is God. This is the faith we have in the God of the gospel, the God of the good news, that he died, that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Do you believe that? If you do, say, yes, I believe. Do you believe that? Then with hopeful anticipation of the greatness of the glory of God in humble obedience, live in unity with one another. For in Christ, the pursuit of lowliness is of the highest calling. How low can you go? How low can you go? Lord Jesus, we do. We praise you. And we bow and bend our knee in humility, knowing you are worth everything. That you are far above, lifted high. And we are forever grateful and thankful 
for what you have done for us in coming so low so that you may lift us up. We trust in you. We hope in you. We surrender all to you. Lord, I pray that as Harvest Decatur, we can continue to be humble in your presence, to love one another, to lift each other up. For your glory, for your honor, And as always, we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.